It is really good to be here, not just because it's summer in South Florida, but uh, I love this church. Um, it's wonderful to be in Michigan for a week of vacation. Um, I bring you greetings from the saints at the church planting work in East Naples, Christ the King Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, we love seeing people from Michigan who come down to visit us, and we love coming back here to see old friends. Uh, we love your pastor and his wife. I love Dale. He uh, is a dear brother of mine. I met Dale more than 30 years ago. I picked him up at the airport when he came to visit Westminster Seminary in California, and we've been friends ever since. In fact, I've told my wife that should the Lord take me home in an untimely manner before you, I want Dale to preach the sermon at my memorial service. I was asked uh, to give a brief report on the work down in Naples, so I'll do that before we turn to the Word of God. Um, after 15 years here in Michigan, we actually came from North Naples uh, to Michigan. Dale had called and asked me to pray about coming to plant a church in Michigan for the OPC. I was at a PCA church in North Naples, and I remember thinking, I don't need to pray about that. There's no way my Miami wife is going to move to Michigan and endure Michigan winters. But God in His providence moved in such a way that uh, He called us, and we responded, and we spent 15 years in Ada as church planters, planting the church there and the organizing pastor. Um, it was four years ago that we moved to Naples uh, with a with call from the Presbytery of the South of the OPC to plant a church in East Naples. East Naples is not what you think of when you think of Naples. A lot of people think of, ooh, that's a really wealthy town. Well, we live in the part of town where all the uh, laborers work. It's mixed neighborhoods, but we're people who work in the resorts and hotels and restaurants uh, where they live. Very multicultural area. Uh, we arrived four years ago this summer. I went as a parachute drop church planter. We didn't have a core group. We had a few contacts. We began making contacts over that summer and had our first worship services about five months later in November of 2013. So we now have, uh, we met for a year at a hotel conference room for our worship services. We now rent a 3,000 square foot facility in an office park. We have about 40 in the summertime, in the morning, 35 in the evening. In the winter, we swell to 80, 90, even over 100 this past winter with snowbirds and vacationers who come to town. That's basically from Thanksgiving to Easter. Uh, last week, um, I realized as I went home from church, I was thinking about the faces that were out there in our summer crowd. And I realized we have people from all over the world, even in our little group. We've got uh, folks worshiping with us regularly from Haiti, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Cuba, South Africa, Honduras, Ecuador, Malaysia, French Canada. And I just invited a guy from Australia, and I think he'll come. I was really excited when I, I thought about the church being an outpost of heaven and what God has already done there in Naples. We now have a year-long intern who's just arrived, uh, funded by the denomination. He is uh, Ryan Heaton. He's come, actually, he's already done an internship in the OPC, so this is like a residency in church planting. He's come uh, to us with his wife and infant daughter. Our next step is officer training. We have some men who have 
responded to the invitation to, to train for several months to be officers, our first officers. We hope to be organized next spring. We do have one more year of denominational and presbytery support. I've stepped back from the work as a part-time missionary to the Haiti mission uh, because I know we need to focus on getting this launched and off the ground. Uh, so I've stepped back from the Haiti work, though I see Haitians every day. They're all over East Naples, which is thrilling to me. I love interacting with uh, people from Haiti. And uh, God has blessed the work. We thank Him and ask you to pray for us. And if you ever hear anybody mention the name Naples, that they're going there for vacation or to winter, direct them our way. Who knows how the Lord might use that. But thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support for our work through our denomination. I'd like to turn with you this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there and keep them open as we, as we study God's Word together today. We'll be giving our attention particularly to verse 16. Verse 16. This is something that the Lord has been teaching me, rebuking me, correcting me, training me, uh, what we'll be looking at this morning from verse 16. And is the basis for this morning's message, what the Lord has been uh, teaching to me from His Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, hear the word of the Lord. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, 
And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And thus sends a reading of God's Word. The grass withers and the flowers of the field fade away, but this is the Word of God, and God's Word stands forever. Let's look to the Lord and ask His blessing on the reading, preaching, and hearing of the Word of God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we bow before You today because You're worthy of our reverence and awe. You are the Lord. You are the King of the heavens and the earth. You are the one who made us and all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. You are the one before whom we will all one day stand. How we need a Savior for that day. Oh, Lord, how we thank You that You've not left us alone to ourselves and to our sins. We thank You for the mercy that You poured out upon us in Christ. We thank You that You've opened our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our heart to believe, that by grace You have brought us to know Christ. We thank You that now You've brought us into the family of God. As we gather here this day in this place, we pray that You would come with power through the Holy Spirit and minister to our hearts. Oh, Lord, we are needy men and women, boys and girls. We need You every day. We need everything. O oh Lord, that comes from the riches of Christ. We need every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need your help and strength. We need power from on high. We need, O oh Lord, your patience and gracious spirit to turn us from sin every day. We need, O oh Lord, you today as we open your word, we pray that you would give us the mind of Christ, sanctify us with your word, the truth. We pray for this, and I pray for your help. Lord, help me, your servant, to rightly divide your word and to proclaim it faithfully. May Christ be honored in this place and your people fed and built up and strengthened. We might all leave this place with a greater desire to honor you, to live for you, to bring others to know the love of Christ that we have come to know. In Jesus' name, amen. From now on, 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. No one. Not even one. No one. So, is that true? Not is that a true statement, not is that truth, but is that true of you? We, we know it's God's revealed truth, it's in Scripture, but is that true of me? Could you say along with the Apostle Paul, since I became a Christian, since I believed the gospel, since my sins were washed away, now that I belong to Christ, now that I am a new creation, now that the old is gone and the new has come, I no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. I no longer look at anyone with the world's standards. I no longer ever judge a book by its cover. This is something I've been wrestling with in my own heart lately, something I've felt convicted about the last couple of months. And it's not just something for the apostle or for pastors or church leaders. This ought to be true of everyone as Christ's disciple. You know, we, we just sang this morning, my worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. We glory in those truths. I love that song. I rejoice in my Redeemer, precious Savior, wellspring of my soul. Praise God that my worth is not in God's sight according to the flesh. We thank God that our worth is in Jesus Christ. But do we apply that same rule to others? Do we apply that, those same principles? Do we determine a person's worth or value to us by what they own, by their gifts, by their talents, by their beauty? Do, do I make preconceived judgments based on what I see on the surface as to whether this person is worthy of my time? Or do I see that person as the children's catechism States, and you children probably know this, do I see that person possessing a soul that will never die? A soul that needs the grace of God just as much as, as I did. Someone who may have been purchased by the Redeemer and therefore I should keep my eyes open, my heart tender, thinking optimistically about this being an open door for the gospel, maybe not through me, maybe I'll just be a seed planter and, or a seed water, but I just might be privileged to be the one who brings in the harvest, you never know. I'd like to look at this passage today with you under these three headings. What is the Spirit of God saying? Where in Scripture do we see this? And how do you apply it to your own life? So first of all, what is the Spirit saying? Paul begins... Therefore, from now on, therefore, 
There's a basis, you see, for what he's about to say. There's a logical conclusion to be made from his previous statements in this letter to the believers at Corinth. This next statement, you see, is based on what he's just said. Therefore, he's going to make a conclusion. Well, what has he said? What is the premise? What is the ground for this statement here in verse 16? Well, the Apostle Paul has said in the last section, like back in verse 1, that this earthly tent will one day be destroyed. This body is going in the grave. But God has a building He's preparing for us, a home in heaven not built with human hands. That's where we're going. And He said, since that is true, we groan, verse 4, we groan, longing for the heavenly body, longing for this mortality to be swallowed up by life. And so, verses 9 and 10, because of that, we aim to please Him, knowing that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And verse 11, because of that great and awesome day, we try to persuade others. They will be there too. We seek to persuade others on the basis of the fact that the love of Christ controls us. The amazing love that has been poured out upon us controls us. And we live because of that love which guides and controls our decisions even when we interact with others, even with total strangers, not boasting about outward appearance, verse 12, and not being persuaded by outward appearance, but concerned about what's in the heart, verse 12. Knowing that He died for all people, that is, He died for all kinds of people, so we live not for ourselves, but for Him. He has given us a whole new perspective on life. We, we no longer live for ourselves. Our life no longer revolves around me, myself, and I. Our pleasures, our glory, our name, our fame, our comfort, that's not our chief goal. No, now we live for, as he says, the one for our sake who died and was raised again. We live for him. We live for his glory, his fame, his priorities are in mind, his purposes, his goals, looking for his kingdom at work. And and that new perspective even changes, it alters the way that we look at people that God brings in and out of our lives each day, the way we view them, the way we think of them, the judgments that we make about them. He says, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, no longer. You see, since the finished work of Christ, since the cross, Jesus has broken down the wall of separation, and He has destroyed all worldly distinctions among men in the church, right? The way we esteem people, the way we value people, the way we regard differences among people. You, you think of the Jews of Paul's day and what they valued. I am a descendant of Abraham, circumcised on the eighth day right? They're very proud of these things. Or the Greeks and their eloquent speaking and their view of those who were outside of the Greek culture, the barbarians, and their elevation of their own philosophy and rhetoric. Paul declares here, we regard no one, no man, no woman. The Spirit teaches us here with respect to external, fleshly, outward, worldly considerations. For the Jew who became a believer, knowing Christ 
died for all, verses 14 and 15, that is for all his elect who come from every tribe and tongue and nation. He died for both Jews and Greeks. For the Jew who became a believer, he had to lose sight of his Jewish origin, at, at least those distinctions which Jews set up to, to separate themselves from the rest of the world. That's not how we're to distinguish people now. For, for the rich man, he's lost sight of esteeming someone for their wealth. For the Ivy League educated person, they're no longer passing judgments on someone because they went to a lesser institution. You see, as Paul now mixes among people as an ambassador for Christ, as one through whom the message of reconciliation is being proclaimed, he, he doesn't care about worldly, carnal, outward things, superficial things. He, he does not consider nationality or glory or wealth or skin color or beauty or fame as the commentary in the margin of the old Geneva Study Bible says, those things in which men commonly dote and weary themselves. We don't care about those things anymore. Paul says by the Spirit, that doesn't matter anymore. I don't see that. We don't see that. I'm, I'm putting that aside. You, you Corinthians, put that aside. This person whom God has brought into your life, this person has a soul that will never die. They need the one who became sin so that they might become the righteousness of God, which is by faith just as much as the next, just as much as you. From now on, that is from the point of conversion, we don't think of people the way the world does. We don't elevate people by what they have. We don't fawn over them because they're famous we don't evaluate people by how they look. We no longer know people by what we see on the outside. He says in verse 16 there, you notice, although we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. That is, before he knew who Jesus Christ was, before his conversion, he had an unbelieving opinion of Christ. He, he viewed Jesus with worldly standards. His opinion of him was based on false assumptions about what the Jewish Messiah would do. He viewed him as just a man, as a fake. Paul viewed him as one who was an imposter, based on hearsay knowledge. He was a deceiver in Paul's eyes. Paul had an opinion about his crime and his punishment. Before, he says, we had our eyes open, before we believed the gospel, before when we were still far off, strangers to the gospel. We regarded Christ as a problem, and therefore, as you know from Paul's life, his followers needed to be punished, right? He went house to house, ravaging the church, breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord like a raging animal, terrorizing the early believers, persecuting those who saw Jesus for who he really was. You see, before, Paul had only regarded Christ according to the flesh. He says here, he implies here, he, he didn't know who Christ really was, which actually makes it all the more interesting when you look at, at Saul or Paul's first words to Jesus on the road to Damascus. You know, in Acts chapter 9, when he's knocked to the ground and he sees, this, has this vision of Christ, his first words are, who are you? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus 
whom you are persecuting. He says, no, now things have changed. We regard him thus no longer, second half of verse 16. You see, now Paul sees him as the one in whom dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now he sees him as the one who knew no sin, yet became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now he sees Christ as the one who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Now he sees him as the one who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, the suffering servant of God, fulfilling scripture, obedient to the Father to the point of death and died as a substitute for our sins. Now he sees him as the risen, glorious Savior who's conquered death. Now he sees Christ as the King and Head of the church, glorified and exalted and ascended and seated at the right hand of God, the one to whom and with whom he's united and with whom he'll be raised. Now he sees him as the one before whom every knee will bow. Paul says here, I used to view him according to the standards of the unbelieving world. I used to be offended by him. Now I see him for who he truly is, the Lamb of God, the Passover of God, the one through whom God has reconciled all things. Now I see Him as our righteousness, our peace, our redemption, our all in all. And, and just like we used to view Christ according to earthly values, according to the flesh, according to worldly standards, but we no longer do, so we used to view others that way. As we pan the landscape, we used to view others according to worldly values, but we no longer do. He says, from now on, we, we regard no one according to the flesh. Things are different now. The scales have fallen from our eyes. Things have changed. We now have spiritual eyes. Because of the new life, we have in Christ, by grace alone, because all people will stand before the Lord, because this world is just a prelude for the next. Verse 12, you, say, you see there, he says, because we don't boast about outward appearance, we care about what's in the heart, because the love of Christ controls us, because we live for Him, directed by Him, following His lead, looking for doors that He is opening, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh which is actually something that the disciples of the Lord Jesus themselves struggled with and something which Jesus corrected again and again. Which brings us to our second point where we see in Scripture this happening all through the Gospels. I'll just get you started this morning and I'll encourage you to go home and page through the Gospels, page through your Bibles and you'll see more. I'll just get you started. All through the Gospels you see how Jesus sees people differently than others do, than even the disciples do, as he pans the landscape, right? The disciples see a problem. There's so many people. How are we going to feed these people? They're all hungry. What does Jesus see? He sees people harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. You think of John chapter 4, when Jesus was sitting at the well with, with the woman from Samaria, right, the Samaritan woman, as he was revealing to her who he really was, the disciples returned. They saw him sitting there talking to her, and they were really surprised. They were shocked. They were amazed. 
They viewed her as a theologically warped Samaritan, right? And yet the text says none of them said, Jesus, why are you talking to her, a Samaritan? We don't associate with them. We don't talk to those kind of people. They viewed her from a worldly perspective, from outward things. Jesus saw a soul that will never die. You think of Zacchaeus, the rich chief tax collector, well-known local lowlife in Jericho. And yet he was so ready to receive Christ. Nobody else knew that but the Lord. And that day he became a true son of Abraham, as Jesus said. Whereas those with an earthly point of view, what, what, what were they thinking? They just all grumbled when Jesus went to his house. You think of the man born blind in John chapter 9, sitting by the road. The disciples saw him. They noticed him, but, but he was just part of the landscape, right? A house, a tree, a blind man sitting by the road. They saw him. They judged him from outward appearance. They saw him, but, but he was just an object lesson to them, right? Remember what they asked Jesus? Whose fault is it that he was born blind? They didn't care about him. They just, they just wanted to know this answer to a theological truth they were wrestling with. Was it his, his fault or his parents' fault? Jesus saw a soul that will never die. He said, no, this was appointed from all eternity, that the glory of God might be seen. And that man came to saving faith in Christ. You think of the rich young ruler that went away sad. The disciples were amazed at Christ's words. He said, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. They, they were amazed because they were looking at outward appearances. They were making worldly judgments. This man must be blessed. He's got so much. They were using earthly standards. He's rich. Go after him, Jesus. He'd be awesome to have on our team. Or you think of the Canaanite woman begging for Jesus to have mercy on her daughter. The disciples just wanted Jesus to tell her to go away, go away, you're bothering us. You think how the disciples rebuked the parents. We heard about that this morning in the baptism for bringing their children to Jesus to bless. He doesn't have time for that. This is not worthy of his time. These are just little babies. These are just little kids. Well, Jesus doesn't view them as a nuisance. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. You think of the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 at the end of the chapter who anointed Christ's feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair at the house of the Pharisee. Remember what the Pharisee thought of her and of Jesus. Luke chapter 7 verse 39, he says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She is a sinner. Uh, Jesus knew that. She was a woman made in the image of God with a broken heart over her sins. And in fact, he uses her tears and her love as a rebuke to the Pharisee who showed him no hospitality or love like that. We think of someone like the tax collector in Luke chapter 18 who went up to the temple to pray at the same time as a self-righteous Pharisee. In fact, that story was told because of those who looked down on everybody else, who made worldly judgments, those who viewed others with the world's standards. The Pharisee just saw him as an evil man. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people like this tax collector. 
right? But Jesus holds up the tax collector and his prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus holds him up as an example of one who is justified by grace through faith. That man, Jesus says, went home justified that day rather than the other. You think of the thief on the cross. If you had been in Jerusalem that day and seen the thief hanging there, I mean, talk about a lost cause, right? He's getting what he deserved. Why even give him the time of day? Why even look at him? Why even answer his question? In fact, he'd, he'd even been hurling insults at Jesus, and yet Jesus does answer him. While Jesus is bearing the sin of the world, while he's covered with our sins, while he's dying for all his people, he takes time to say to this man who looks in faith today, you'll be with me in paradise. And then it's amazing as you look through the book of Acts, as Paul goes on his missionary journeys, as, as he ministers from one city to the next, one person to the next, he is as committed to talking to the wealthy seller of purple cloth who's praying with other women as he is talking to a Philippian jailer who just about committed suicide. He's as interested in the souls of the Athenian philosophers in the Areopagus as he is with the Jews in the synagogue in Corinth. He'll preach the gospel to Felix, the governor, or Agrippa, the king, and he's concerned about the souls on his ship who may sink off the coast of Malta during that storm. He'll preach to anyone, even the guards of the household of Caesar. He regarded no one according to worldly standards. He was an ambassador for Christ to all, to everyone. From now on, therefore, we, we regard no one according to the flesh. So, thirdly, today, how do you apply that to your life? Well, I'll ask you, is that the case for you? Is this one of those optional verses? I don't need to do that. We must allow this to penetrate our own hearts. Because of the grace of God in Christ, because of all that Christ has done for me, because... Jesus died for a rebel like me, a sinner like me. From now on, can you say with Paul, I regard no one according to the flesh. I don't look at anyone from a worldly perspective. Our family will not judge by human standards. We will not think of anyone as the world does. Our opinion of people can no longer be based on outward appearances. We're not evaluating people by what they have or how they look. We will not prejudge a man or a woman. We'll not evaluate whether or not they're worth my time or attention based on their wealth or lack of it, based on their rank or their career or their education or their sophistication or their clothing or their ethnicity or their culture or their legal standing or their criminal record or their house or their address or their neighborhood or by the car they drive. And you know, the Spirit of God has to reveal this to us. The Spirit of God has to show us. It's, it's here for a reason, because this is not our natural tendency. The Spirit of God has to correct us here in 2 Corinthians 5.16, because that's what we're so prone to do. That's what the world does. That's what our flesh does. When we first arrived in Naples, people do it all the time all around you. When we first arrived in Naples, we moved into a house temporarily 
And the very first day, as our moving truck was in the driveway, there was a lady walking down the street with her dog, and I was standing out front with a cup of coffee, picking up the newspaper, and she said, oh, you just moved in. And I said, yes, we did. We, we moved here from Michigan. Oh, that's great. Do you have a dog? I said, uh, no, we don't have a dog. Oh, and then she walked on. <laughs> but we're nice people. Right. Her whole world was viewed around dog walkers, right? And the dog walkers and their special little club, and we didn't make it. We weren't in that group. We were here in Grand Rapids just two weeks ago for the memorial service for a dear friend of ours over in Ada for Sue Suen. And my wife and I had to go straight from the memorial service, the church luncheon, to the airport to get back to Florida. And I kept on my dark suit, clean, crisp shirt, nice tie my wife had on a pretty outfit with pearls and, you know, pearl bracelet, and, I mean, we looked like we'd been somewhere special, you know. It was amazing to me how many people greeted us everywhere we went. They nodded and smiled and nodded and smiled, and they gave us a special seat on the plane when we went up and said, we don't have tickets yet, and I was like, man, I got to wear a suit more often, you know. I mean, people judge you by everywhere we went through the Atlanta airport. Everybody was making eye contact, nodding. I, people, I usually just blend in wearing khakis and tevas and a t-shirt, you know. The world judges people by what they wear all the time. That's, that's, that's what our flesh does. That's what's at the root of so many conflicts today, just like the Greeks saw other cultures or races as barbarians, just as the Jews saw Gentiles as less than dogs, so people do that today, regarding one race as superior to another. It's sinful. It's sinful. Just like the Lord rebuked Jonah for his lack of concern for the Ninevites, He would say the same to us today. Should I not be concerned? Should I not be concerned for those people, those you write off? Should I not pity that man or that woman that you just ignored because they didn't fit in the box of the kind of person you talked to? You, you see, the gospel breaks down cultural barriers, those racial and ethnic and economic barriers that we erect and divide people. Paul says in Galatians 3, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're an outpost of heaven here on earth. We're different than the world, right? Because Christ, He Himself, Paul says in Ephesians 2, is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We're so prone to do just the opposite. We're so prone to make worldly judgments about people. This is so hard, though. In fact, it's impossible it's impossible by ourselves. It takes the power of God. It takes the love of Christ in me to do so. It takes us going back again and again to the cross that God has not dealt with me according to what my sins deserve. He came to me who was far off. 
We're so conditioned, so prone, so bent toward outward appearance, towards judging by worldly standards. You think about how many people you just barely even see. You ignore them, you, you forget about them, or you write them off. They're not like me. They've got tattoos. No, they probably don't even speak English. Think of all the people that we just barely even notice in just one day, in just one outing to run an errand. You think about the cleaning lady who's in your office building. Sometimes you bump into her there if you're there late at night, but she's from another country. She doesn't speak English. Why would I even talk to her? We have nothing in common. Oh, yes, you do. She has a soul that will never die, just like you do. Have you ever thought about learning her name? Have you ever thought about learning some phrases in her native language to say hello and ask her how her day was? Have you ever thought about asking her if you could pray for her? To thank her for her work? What about that new kid bagging groceries at the grocery store? He just might be searching for truth about God. And he's being flooded. He's being flooded in his eyes, mind, every day with, with the unbelieving principles of the world. What about that grumpy co-worker who always seems mad at you? Do you really know what makes him tick? Maybe, maybe he's envious of your happy life, and that's why he's so rude. That's just how he shows it. He needs Christ. He needs hope. You're not to repay evil with evil. You re repay evil with good. What about that young single mom who works at Walgreens, struggling to make ends meet? Do you know that her mom just died? Her mom just died. She's all broken up about it. She lives across, the, or she works across the street from us. What about that couple you see taking a walk almost every day? You've never met them, but they would never fit in in our church. They've been coming for the last month because someone else invited them because I didn't. And what about that Muslim woman who lives opposite of your house in the neighborhood? She actually has two sons that became Christians. She raised them Muslim, but they became Christians in jail. And the Lord had to providentially place me in her driveway so that I could talk to her. And now she's coming to our church every week, searching. And she comes to my wife's Bible study. And her sons now say to her, Mom, you're almost a Christian. What about the cashier at that funky new grocery store? One of our ladies invited her for coffee because she was new in town and, and then to church, and now she worships with us, and she even helps clean the church. What about that guy from Australia who seems to have his life together, but he moves a little slow, he's kind of he's distant, talks even a little slow, seems disinterested with sunglasses on and earplugs in, doesn't have time for me, I guess. Actually, he used to be a professional athlete, competed internationally. But six months ago, he and his family were rear-ended by a Maserati going 60 miles an hour while he was sitting at a stoplight. He wears the sunglasses and the earplugs because of a brain injury. He would actually respond to an invitation to lunch, to my surprise. We'd become friends. What about that guy with dreadlocks in the county jail? Ah. 
I have nothing to say to him. He has nothing to talk to me about. Actually, if you talk to him, you'd find out who he is. Don't just write him off as another, as another drug, druggie. Actually, he's very articulate. He's 22. He comes from a Christian family, and the Lord has used this to bring him to his knees. And he planned to go play basketball for a college team, but he's in jail because he got stopped by an officer, and he was afraid, so he gave a false name. Or think about a guy like O.J. Simpson, right? Don't regard anyone according to the flesh. He's actually been big in the news in southwest Florida lately because he just might come and live in East Naples when he's released from prison, right near us, about a mile as the crow flies from where we live. What if he moved to your neighborhood? Oh, we've got articles in the paper about how he's not welcome here and the radio talk show people in town. They're all bemoaning the fact that he might come to town. But you know what? He has a soul that will never die. He needs Christ. Come, come to Naples this winter. You might run into him. The, the question I want to leave with you today to wrestle with, how do you view people that God brings into your life? Do you even notice them? Or, or do they just kind of disappear into the landscape? Do you see them? We're so thankful to be reformed in our theology, right? We're Orthodox Presbyterians. Well, are you reformed in your evangelism? That is, do you see every soul that stands before you at the cash register, in the parking lot, wherever you go, that God in His sovereign purposes has placed right there with you? Do you even notice them? Do you see them, the landscape of people who come in and out of your life, the people that God sovereignly places in, you from, in your life from one day to the next? How do you see them? God has given us, the church, the ministry of reconciling a lost world to Himself in the gospel. And every day this week, His Spirit will place you in people's lives. What will you see when you see them? Oh, would your prayer be, oh, Lord, change me. Forgive me for not even noticing them. Have mercy on me. Correct me. Sanctify me. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, dwell in me from day to day. Give me the eyes of Christ. Open my eyes to see each person as a soul that will never die. Open my heart to love them with the love of Christ, the same love with which you loved me. Oh, Lord, if I'm a new creature, a new creation, give me new eyes. If I'm united to Christ, give me His eyes to see others as you see them. Thank you, Lord, that you've not dealt with me according to my sins. Thanks be to God for the indescribable gift of His Son lavished upon us. That's what we offer to the world, right? Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us as you take your word and sanctify us. Oh, Lord, may it bear much fruit. Transform our lives through the power of the gospel. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see those around us as you see them. Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy on us and change us. Thank you for the hope that we have 
of the resurrection of the body and the forgiveness of sins. May we be generous to share that hope with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.